Happy Mother's Day. Really neat to see you all here today. As Trevor said, I'm seeing a, a few of you that I've never seen you look this nice before, so well, well done. Um, you're allowed to do that anytime you want, just so you know. Um, but uh, today we're actually going to be continuing on in our series, but we're going to look at, I think, one of the unsung mothers of the New Testament that you might not even realize was a mother, because the only reason we know that is from church history, not directly in the Bible. Okay, so we're going to walk through her story in a couple minutes, um, but I wanted to review where we're at in our series about shining the light and what it means for us to share our faith with other people. All right, so we talked about um, the first week that as a witness, our primary job is to give testimony to what God has done in our lives. So even those early followers of Jesus, the day they met Jesus, they had a testimony because they had encountered the Messiah. They saw Jesus do something in their life or around their life, and now they have a story to tell. And even though they might not have been ready to sort of defend the faith or offer a Bible study, they did have a story. So that was their first step towards sharing their faith. And we all have that story as well when we put our faith in Jesus. And then when we look across the New Testament, what we find is that every time faith gets shared, it's shared a different way. That is, there's not some sort of formula or something that every time you meet someone who's curious about knowing the gospel or knowing the good news of Jesus, you just say, like, hey, say these words and it's done. Because each time the good news goes out, it's framed differently. So last week we talked about why that's the case. That some people are starting from different, le different levels of understanding. It's not even so much about understanding as it is about what is in their heart. If their heart is hard versus if their heart is open. We talked about the fact that there are three, kind of, there are three key questions that have to be answered when we're sharing our faith. And depending on where a person's starting from is you know, where you would start your conversation. One is, what is our need as human beings? Then what is God's plan to meet our need? Obviously, that's Jesus and all that he did. And then, how do we embrace God's plan? Like, what is the next step? If you recognize what Jesus came to accomplish and you believe him, what, what do you do then? And uh, we also talked about this, a helpful tool that um, I learned early in my life, and it always has served as a little bit of a framework in my mind when I'm talking about the gospel. And that is, there's some, some stepping stones throughout the book of Romans that you can look to uh, as a little bit of a guidance. And so, I challenged you last week that these four verses on this Romans road are great verses to put in your heart, to commit to memory, so that whether you have your Bible with you or not, you're always ready to help a person take their next step down that road to meeting and following Jesus. All right, so that was all up to last week, and, and I'm sure that as you've shared your faith with others, if you've ever attempted to do that. Maybe that could be somebody in your own family. Uh, it could be someone you met on the street corner, someone you work with. I mean, we can share our faith and shine our light anywhere. You ultimately encounter some different responses, right? Now, we tend to worry about the people that are going to respond angrily. That very rarely is what happens uh, because there are actually, I think, four different kinds of people illustrated here by four different people in the New Testament as they would encounter the truth about Jesus, how they would respond in their heart, what their next step might be. So remember Nicodemus was the, the person who actually came to Jesus to ask questions. He was actively seeking the truth. 
Then you have uh, people like the Samaritan woman. Uh, her, she was open. Like she didn't necessarily initiate the conversation, but when Jesus showed up uh, next to her well, she was very willing to engage in conversation and very open to taking next steps spiritually. Then you have people who are conversant, people who would not mind a conversation about church or religion or faith. They're not necessarily ready to accept it, but they're not closed to talking about it, right? So we met one of those characters in the first two weeks of this study, King Agrippa. He was willing to talk about it. He was curious about it, but he wasn't persuaded. He wasn't ready to take a step. And then sometimes you run into people who are closed-hearted, and you usually know this pretty early in the conversation about spiritual things because you just sense as soon as you bring up something spiritual, there is a big wall in front of that conversation going any further. Uh, their heart is closed, their mind is closed, just not interested, not interested in talking about it. And, uh, and you can find characters, obviously, throughout Bible, the Bible and in all of our lives that would be like that. So something I've observed about these four kinds of people is that at different times in our lives, we might be one or the other of these. So it's not like you're born one of the four and that's what you always are. No, there's moments in your life when your heart is more open. There's other moments in your life you think you've got it all together, your heart is closed. Uh, there are times when you might be actively seeking. Back in the early 2000s, they did a, um, a research study of Americans to ask kind of how they thought about spiritual things. And I, I wish there was an up-to-date stat about this, but I thought it was really interesting. Probably not all that different, just 15 years ago. Um, and essentially, they said out of every 10,000 people, this was what the stat showed, 400 of them were actively seeking. So if you went out and found 10,000 people, 400 of them actually are leaning forward, wanting to know more about Christianity, which is pretty interesting. So that means as you go out and shine your light, you kind of think about the fact that you know, not everybody's open, not everybody's willing to talk, but there are people out there who are actually ready to hear, maybe because of circumstances in their life or just God working in their mind or whatever, whatever has added up to that moment, they're interested. And so if we're consistently shining our light, when those 400 out of 10,000 come close to us, hopefully we're the one that gets to share some of the good news of the gospel with them. So back to motherhood in the New Testament, someone you might not have realized was a mom, uh, but she was. Turn to John 4, and we're going to talk a little bit more about the Samaritan woman, that one who was open to the gospel, open to talking, but it took Jesus walking into her village and sitting down at her well where she was drawing water and striking up a conversation. And as a result, she found her Messiah. She found the truth. Now, um, we don't know a lot of the early story of the Samaritan woman. Um, all we know is that she was a very large woman because it says she was a woman of some area. It didn't work. Sorry. Okay. Just trying, never mind. Uh, that works when I'm doing like studies for teenagers. They all think that's great. But here you are, you know, I don't know. Maybe we're all too serious and solemn here. But um, so let's, uh, let's try again. Uh, we'll start in verse one. We'll learn a little about the Samaritan woman, where she's coming from. It says, Jesus knew the Pharisees had heard that he was baptizing and making more disciples than John, although Jesus himself didn't baptize them as disciples did. So he left Judea and returned to Galilee. So Jesus had to make a journey from one part of Israel to another. 
normally, um, because of prejudice, the Jews, the faithful Jews, would, would take a pretty long detour to get around the area called Samaria because they did not want to have to talk to Samaritans or think about them. They thought of Samaritans as uh, essentially unfaithful to the truth. And so they would rather make a much longer journey than just walk right straight through from point A to point B. So normally they would have walked around. Jesus, for a you know, variety of reasons, you could read prior to this in the text, it's time for him to move. So his disciples would have thought, we're going to take the long road around just like we always would have. But look at verse 4. It says he had to go through Samaria on the way. Um, so this isn't he had to because it was the only way. It's he had to because he decided to. Like he's going to do it. Disciples are with him. Eventually he came in verse 5 to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field where Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water and Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So a couple things would have been very different in this situation. In that culture, it would have been not necessarily customary for a man to address a woman directly like that. Uh, it also was here a Jewish rabbi is addressing a Samaritan woman. So lots of things that would have been surprising to the woman, like, hey, whoa, whoa, wait, what, are you talking to me? What's happening here? Jesus, um, said, she said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and, and I would give you living water. And what Jesus did there was he took a very human, earthly situation, like he was thirsty and they were sitting by a well, and he turned it into a spiritual conversation. You see how he did that? It would have been, he could have just taken the drink and moved on, but instead he challenges this woman to think a little deeper about her life and her faith by talking about living water. It kind of brings up this curiosity. Verse 11, but sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said, and this well is very deep. Where would you get the living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. So you've got two kinds of water in the story now, right? There is physical water in the well, and Jesus is thirsty for that. But now Jesus is saying that there's a different kind of refreshment, a different kind of life, and a source of life that's possible that results in eternal life. So obviously, here this woman, already kind of surprised by this exchange, might take another step back and go, wait, wait what, what are we talking about here? Um, Jesus, or the woman in verse 15, please, sir, give me this water. And then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here and get water. So she's misunderstanding, thinking, hey, this is like water that is everlasting in itself physically. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. Oh, I, I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you have had 
five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now, you certainly spoke the truth. Oh, sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So, so tell me. Now, this is a really interesting thing. You know, she, Jesus just revealed that he knows her past. Like, he knows, he knows the truth about her. In an uncomfortable moment. So, the woman decides to sort of change the conversation. Um, I can see you're a prophet. So, tell me. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place that we must worship and we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship. We Jews know all about him for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father's looking for those who will worship him that way. For God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, well, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Pretty big reveal there, right? So at the end of this exchange, this woman goes from being, you know, who knows why she was at the well, maybe her daily chores, maybe she was thirsty herself, goes from just talking to a, you know, kind of a weird Jewish rabbi that, like, well, how did this situation happen? Now all of a sudden, he's the Messiah, okay? Now this woman, um, obviously this is transformational information, right? Um, so what does she do? Well, just then, the disciples come back, they're really surprised, they're saying, wait, what, what do you, what's going on here? It says in the text, they didn't really want to specifically call Jesus out, like, what are you doing talking to this lady? But that's kind of how they were feeling. And Jesus said, um, if you down, down to verse 33, the disciples were kind of surprised, like, what, why isn't Jesus on our, we, we were planning lunch, we're planning to keep moving, Jesus stopped here, maybe somebody else gave him lunch. Did someone bring him food while we were gone, the disciples asked each other? And Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and finishing his work. You know the saying, four months between planting and harvest? I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. That is, the, the, the mission we're on to cast good news to the world, like people are ready to hear that good news. And the disciples, if it had been up to them, just due to the cultural prejudice, they would have passed right on by that woman, never said a word to her. But Jesus saw the opportunity, saw the fields are ripe, the harvest is ready, people are ready to hear the truth. Now down to verse 39, it says, Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because of what the woman had said. So what did she do on day one of her faith journey? She gave testimony as a witness, hey, come and see this, come and see, I just met the Messiah. Like, that's quite a testimony, right? So when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed two days, long enough for many more to hear the message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now we believe not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. So, something going on here that I think is a helpful instruction for us. 
when we think about sharing our faith with people who, you know, we don't necessarily know if people are open when you start a conversation, um, but it's called the R-double-C-R principle, and I learned this from an evangelist uh, named Ray Comfort that just has a really great way of sharing the faith and has a lot of practical tools in his tool belt, and when he shared this um, in a conference I was in, I thought, you know, this is really, really helpful as kind of a mental framework to have just to understand how, how do I go about sharing light and faith in different situations that I might find myself in. So the R, the first R, is to relate. You just relate to everyday situations. We're all doing that anyway. We have relationships with other people. And so when Jesus sat down and said to that woman, can I have a drink? That's relating on a very personal level with just, you know, here, here we are in the course of life. Relating can be over your job or over your interests or hobbies or over just about anything, you know, just if for any reason you might strike up a conversation with another person. The C is create. So first you relate, then you create a spiritual conversation. You create an opportunity, sometimes by asking a question, sometimes by bringing something up. So Jesus did this when he said, you know, hey, we're looking at this water here. I'm thirsty, but has anyone told you about living water? That's creating an opportunity now for the conversation to get a little bit deeper. Um, then convict, Jesus brings up the truth about this woman and where she was in her life so that now she feels like, hey, there's a need, like I'd like to know more about what's going on. And then the R is reveal, where you get to reveal the good news. So for Jesus, this was really easy because all he had to say was, I'm it, right? I am the Messiah. Uh, we, as his witnesses, we get to point to him and we say, hey, I have good news. I've met the Messiah. He has changed my life. Let me tell you how that's happened. So you relate, you create the situation, or by, you know, maybe by asking a question or something, then you convict, you offer, you know, the, here's, here's the truth of God, then you reveal that there's good news, there's an answer at the end of all of that. Now, this woman, church history tells us that she was a mom. And uh, here's a little more of her story. Um, she had, she was, had the, the given name later in her life of Fotina, which means light bearer, someone who is bright with light, uh, she and her children actually began traveling around sharing their faith in Jesus. Uh, they traveled far and wide doing this. There's even some evidence she might have been in Carthage, North Africa, at one point doing this. Um, that's a long journey. So she's out there spreading the gospel. Now, the Bible doesn't specifically carry her story forward after John 4. So there's not, there's not text in the Bible for that data point. That's from... Uh, church history and the various stories in history that are passed down, just like any other historical story. Um, where she ended up um, was actually on trial during the persecution of Nero, which remember late last year we went through the book of 1 Peter, which was written at that same time, and talked about all the terrible persecutions that Christians were enduring in that first generation of Jesus' followers. So she was killed during that time when she was rounded up along with other Christians and her kids, presumably, um, and killed. Now, I was thinking about um, her as, you know, we, we see her in this sort of, this one stage in her life when she meets the Messiah. But if you think about her first testimony that she gave, essentially led her whole village to Jesus, right? Isn't that what we just read, that the whole village came out? And they say, okay, we believe too, like, and it's not just because of what you said now, we've experienced it too. So at that point, in that village, pretty much on day one, 
her mission is kind of complete. Like if, if her mission is to go out and share the light and love of Jesus with others, everybody she knows just became a Christian. So now where do you go? Well, you start, you start finding more opportunity. Um, so she starts to head out on mission for Jesus uh, and traveling. And I think it's striking that she um, spent the next number of years, probably a few decades, out sharing the gospel um, and then eventually gave her life for that cause. Now, there's, there's, there's a variety of stories that relate to some of these early Christian believers and what happened to them after the Bible's narrative stops, but, you know, history keeps going. And uh, one of them is that when she was standing before Nero's court, um, she said this, and this is a tough mom here. Uh, she said, would I renounce my Lord Christ and instead offer sacrifice to idols as blind as you? <laughs> Uh, she brought it to him, and of course she did lose her life, and uh, you can read up on this, it's kind of interesting, um, probably her children were there with her, also dying alongside her, so uh, what, a, what a, you know, powerful commitment to Jesus she demonstrated. And you think back to her first day as a Jesus follower, she saw the Messiah, like she met Jesus, so once that happens to you, and everything about your earthly life and your dreams and anything that would come after that, all of that changes uh, because you see the power of Jesus at work and, of course, you want to share it. So what can we take away from this woman's story and from Jesus' approach to her as maybe some coaching on how we can shine the light to the people that we meet along, you know, at the wells that we go to, as it were? And, uh, and here's one way that I've found has been really helpful. And so when I'm in different situations where I'll think, you know, this would be a good time to have a conversation with someone and just find out, you know, are they, are they open? Are they seeking? Are they conversant? Maybe they're closed. They'll tell me right away if they are, or you can kind of pick up the context clues. Um, here, here is what I think we can do and what we can learn going forward. We're beginning to share our faith. We can learn how to ask deep well questions. So that's a question that gets your conversation down below the surface into the well of spiritual things. Now usually just, that, just the question will let you know where the person that you're talking to might be at because some people really are closed in their heart and they're not at that stage in their life, that moment, they don't want to talk about it. Okay, I'll move on. We'll pray for that person that God will open the door for a different witness at a different time. Uh, but when you ask a deep well question and the person responds with, heartfelt curiosity and openness, then you get to share more about Jesus with that person. Um, so here's how we could break it down. Here's how it would work. Um, first of all, here's, how, here's kind of how this helps us. It discover, we discover where they are in their life, uh, the questions that you might ask. It also helps you make the transition from relating to the person on a human level to creating a spiritual conversation with them. And so that question can be like your bridge between relate and create. And then also, I think it represents Jesus well to them for us to do that. Because think of this for a moment. If Jesus himself was here in the 21st century in your shoes, walking on your, you know, through your life, and he encountered that person, what would he do? Well, he would probably ask them questions and try to get to know them so that he could reveal the truth, right? I mean, this is us following the example of Jesus and literally being Jesus in our time to the people around us. 
Um, and so this, this, to me, takes a lot of pressure off. Because when you, when you think about sharing about your faith, you're not, you're not thinking, how do I like, pitch somebody some sort of you know, big theological treatise? You're not thinking necessarily, how do I convince them? Um, you're not even saying, how do I say all the right words? You're just saying, like, hey, I'm a testi- I have a testimony, I have a witness, I know what God's word says is the gospel, so I'm going to ask some questions and just see where the person is and see if the conversation goes from there. So here would be a couple examples of what those deep well questions might look like. And there can be all sorts of these. I have a list on my computer of like 45 of these. And I was thinking I might send this out this week as a little, just a little help. Um, but uh, these are some of the ones that I've found. I've used these in different situations I've been in. Uh, one is, did you grow up going to church? Right? Totally non-offensive questions. Fair game for anybody, but when you bring that up, it's kind of like you're leaning over and saying, you know, let's talk about living water a little bit. Like, tell me about your background and faith. And, and people will give you an answer, and sometimes right from that answer, you can kind of tell. Because usually, if you ask a question, you kind of get the bounce back of the same question, right? So once you bring that up, if they're friendly to it, now you get to talk about your experience in church as well. Another one is, do you ever think about life's purpose? I was sitting on a plane on the way home from, I don't know, somewhere I was, and it was one of those flights where there was hardly anyone on it. It was late at night, and there was a, there was a, a couple sitting like kind of right in front of me, but it was a really small plane, so you're all right next to each other. And, uh, and they were talking about um, college, and they were young, and they were talking about classes they were in, and they brought up philosophy. So I was kind of in their conversation a little bit. They'd talked to me a little bit, and... Um, I said, That's, it's, I, I love philosophy. I like thinking about those things. Like, what's your current view of life's purpose? Just threw that out there. Man, that started a whole conversation, like 40 minutes of, of getting to talk all about. And, and so then when they asked me back, you know, well, tell me about what you think, I got to talk all about Jesus uh, to those people. Um, so you never know where these conversations can go, but the questions open the door to it. Uh, what do you think about faith and religion? Uh, what do you like most about your life? That's a, people like talking about themselves. You just ask them about that. Um, what do you hope for in the future? Do you have a theory about the afterlife? I was in an Uber a couple months ago with a guy that, he was a really friendly, sometimes, I don't know if you've taken Ubers before, sometimes you run into people that are just mute, like they don't, they obviously just don't want to talk to you. But occasionally you get somebody that's really friendly. Uh, so he was asking me where I was going, what I was doing. He found out I was a pastor. Uh, he told me all about being in like a cult for a while and had a crazy story with that. He said, yeah, I don't have, a, I don't have any faith now. That pretty much burned me. I said, man, I, I, he told me a terrible story. I said, man, I do not blame you for not wanting to be involved in any of that right now. Um, I said, but what do you actually think about life? You know, like what is your theory? And uh, so we talked about it, and here he was just super wide open and interested um, I think as soon as he realized I wasn't like trying to make him go to church, he was all of a sudden an open book. And, uh, and so, you know, it was crazy. At the end of our conversation, he was like, man, our ride's over. I really want to talk to you more. Um, so we exchanged cell phone numbers so we could text. We did text a little bit. And then he was like, you said you're a pastor. Do they record your messages at your church? I was like, yeah. He was like, can you send me a text link to that? I really want to hear more from you. I was like, okay, sure. Um, so you just never know, right? That's where you just, if you have kind of an open but seeking disposition toward people and you're ready with a deep well question, you, you never know where the Lord might take that conversation. So I would encourage you, you know, all of us come at this from different places 
There's no, there's no like certain way to do this. That's what I think the New Testament teaches us. As different people would encounter Jesus or the apostles, the conversation would unfold in different ways. But at the end, the, the aim was always to share good news with that person. Um, so this week in your email, um, if you're signed up for that, I'll send you a whole bunch of deep well question starters. It's really not about even learning that. It's about like what could you say that might bring up an opportunity to take the level of conversation a little deeper, whether it's someone that you've known for a long time or someone you're just meeting at random uh, out there in the community. Uh, you never know, maybe the next Fotina, the next woman at the well is someone that you'll talk to uh, just because you have the boldness to, to move from relate to create, uh, just making that opportunity and finding out where that person's at. So why don't we pray and uh, ask for God's courage to be upon us this week and really to be seeking opportunities to create, oppor to, or to create opportunities, um, seeking people in which create opportunities that we can share. So Lord, we really do thank you for giving us not only the good news, but also plenty of examples in the scripture about how to share it, how to approach others and give them opportunities. Lord, someone did that for us. That's why we're here right now. Uh, someone, someone had the courage to share their faith, and that led to us hearing about you and having our lives transformed, and now we want to be used in the same way in the lives of others. So would you help us to be confident, not in our own ability to think or reason or even ask the right questions, but really confident in you, your power to direct us um, and to guide our conversations. And then I pray that we would be bold when we see those opportunities. And that, Lord, as we encounter people who are open or who are seeking or who are conversant, that we would, we would treat them the way that you treated them in those situations. And, uh, Lord, we look forward to shining your light wherever we go. Thank you for Fotina, her example of not only being a bold light bearer, but also leading her family to shine the light as well. And uh, Lord, we commit this Sunday to you. Thank you that we can celebrate our moms. Um, even more, Lord, thank you for the good news that impacts every single one of us. We pray all this in Jesus' name.